Thank God for fences. Hello, Hamilton Mill. How are we doing today? It's great to be with you guys. Thank you, Pastor Chad. Big fans of the prices. Um, also big fans of the Cochran's here, our lead pastors, the leadership. Church, we've got a special place right here at Hamilton Mill. Come on, let's give it up for the Lord, what he's doing here at Hamilton Mill. I will say, Chad, you cannot tease people like if there's a cookie or not. Either it's in there or it's not. I was thinking like, I, I need to know, is the cookie with the new people? Because I'm going to be getting a cookie. So uh, anyway, hey, it's just really good to be with you guys for sure. And and I've been the human pinball lately. Uh, be careful when you tell people that, uh, or preachers on your resume, because they'll, they'll use that gift for sure. And so last week I had the awesome honor to be at Midtown and speaking for Pastor Mo, who they had a baby boy, baby Maximus was born. Had a blast down there in downtown Atlanta with those awesome, crazy people. And I get to be with you guys today. And listen, don't tell anybody, okay? This is just between us and everybody watching online, but uh, I think y'all are the best looking campus of the three. I'm just going to say that right now. Uh, did I say that last week at Midtown? Probably. So, uh, but no, it's, it's great to be with you guys. Uh, as Chad said, my name's Chris, uh, my wife, Lisa, right here on the front row, and we have the awesome honor uh, to, to lead here and serve our amazing team that's ministering to all the young people in middle school, high school, and young adult. And I'm just, again, I, just, I say it all the time from every platform, I'm just so thankful uh, because I've been in places where they weren't. I'm so thankful to be in a place that truly loves and believes in the next generation from our children all the way to our young adults. Church, can we just thank the Lord that we're in that kind of place? And speaking of parents, any parents in the room of any children in middle school, high school, come on, just raise your hand like you just don't even care right now. It's summertime. Hello. First, I got to say this, parents. For it, I never had a children's ministry like that children's ministry over there. Now, I'm a church boy. Maybe some of you didn't grow up in church. I grew up with Sunday school. Any Sunday school people in the house, you remember that? Thank God for that. I learned the word in Sunday school. But man, they, when we walked in this morning at 8 o'clock, I kid you not, I told Lisa, they're playing the Avengers theme in there. And it was just amazing. And of course, they're all pointing to the real superhero, Jesus Christ. And it's just, I'm just so blessed to see what is happening in our children's ministry. But also for our parents of middle school and high school, let me just say this to you. I know it's always about the kids, but today, and maybe just today, it's about you because we're launching today a parent webpage just for the parents of middle schoolers and high schoolers. And we're excited. Uh, Lisa and I are parents of three, one that's no longer a teenager, but we got two still in the crazy years. And so all of us parents need support and encouragement. And so this page is up now. I got the address right up there. Check it out later, not now. And, um, and there's some really great stuff in there for you that we believe will be encouraging, some resources, support, and that will be ever changing and updated. So it can just be a thing of support and encouragement for you. Because come on, if you're a parent, no matter how old or young, we all need a little love and encouragement from time to time, for sure. Hey, if you have your Bible, uh, I want to ask you, would you turn to Leviticus chapter 10? Somebody's like, Leviticus? <laughs> that ought to warn you where we're going today. <laughs> 
So be careful when you ask the Lord, um, what do you want me to read? In the beginning of January, I asked the Lord, like, hey, what, what, do I, what do you want me to do this year? And he reminded me that it's been a few years since I had read the Bible all the way through. And so when I got to Leviticus, I got to tell you, it was some hard plowing. Come on, somebody, let's just be real. And I was struggling in Deuteronomy right afterward. And so it is not the book of encouragement. Let me just say that. Thank God I was bouncing back and forth from the Psalms to the New Testament. But there's some really good stuff in there if you, if you take your time and look for the gold. There's gold in them hills, and it's, it's right in Leviticus. And so we're going to go there halfway through the message today. But I want to go ahead and open in prayer. Come on, let's just prepare our hearts now for the word. Father, we just thank you so much. You're, you're, you're just a, you're a great daddy. Thank you for never giving up on us, never leaving us, never forsaking us. Thank you for the moment we just had that we got to worship you and bless your name. And now, uh, Lord, I just speak for everybody here, including myself. We did not come here today to hear a man. We want to hear from you. And so, Lord, here we are at service number two. And so, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you for fresh oil, fresh anointing to be able to proclaim your word to your people. I thank you, Father. We right now, come on, just agree with me. We silence the noise of distractions in our life right now. The, the, even the important stuff. For the next few minutes, God, we silence all the noise and we lean into you. And we say, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Open our ears, open our eyes to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. And thank God for water. We're in the message series, Fences. Somebody say Fences. And if you missed last week, we just started, so you can dive right in. Last week was part one. We're hitting part two today. And we've been talking about the importance of having fences, spiritual fences in your life. You know, we're going to put fences around things that are valuable, things that are very important. Let me name a few. You could probably name a whole bunch. How about this? Your health, you being around for the long haul. I would say that's pretty valuable. Uh, your marriage, if you're married in the room, that's very valuable. Your family, come on, parents, we were just bragging on you. Your family, that's very valuable. And I could just go on and go on. Uh, your heart, how about that? If we just end with that, that's the most important thing, your individual heart. We need to be a people that have spiritual fences built to protect those things that are most valuable. You know, if you think about it, and this was said last week, you know, we've got a fence in our backyard. We only live about 10, 12 minutes from here in the great metroplex of Decula, Georgia. And, and literally, uh, we, you know, we have a fence and our dog would have been gone day one if we didn't have a fence, uh, you know, and our children, uh, they're older now, but you know, when they were little, we had a couple of houses that didn't have fences that we had to build. And you know, it was, it was good to have that fence finally built because there's peace of mind and security that they can run wild and go crazy in the fenced in area. So I say fences. Fences protect your root system, your heart. Fences will keep you from a hard, devastating fall. Like, like last week, if you were here, they talked about the sequoia trees in the Sequoia National Park that would just fall 
uh, because people were stepping on their roots. You know, we're, we're all going to uh, have a fall here and there. We're all going to trip and stumble along life's way. But I don't believe it's the will of God for anybody in the room to have a hard, devastating fall. That you can, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can build fences around your life to protect you from that. And then lastly, fences will help us thrive. Somebody say thrive. Oh, you sound good. Uh, thrive in this life for the long haul. Y'all sound really good. 9 a.m., I was very concerned for them. I think they needed some coffee <laughs> or something. God bless them. It was good, though. And, uh, but here's kind of the main point. Pastor Johnson spelled it out for us. Look at this right here on your screen. Fences keep bad things out and good things in. Come on, can we say that together? Fences keep and that's what fences do. There was a study several years ago with children on the playground. And um, there, two, there was two different studies. One was a fenced-in playground, and one was the playground without a fence at all. We'll, we'll talk about real quick the playground without the fence. The caretaker, teacher, parent, whoever it was that was watching kids, was much more nervous, much more attentive to the playground, to their children on the playground that didn't have a fence. The kids, they noticed, were much more huddled together, not really exploring or running around at all. And then the other playground that was fenced in through the study, the results came out that the kids were running everywhere, exploring everything within the fenced area. And the parents, the caregiver, the teacher, whoever, was much more relaxed. I think you know where we're going. Fences are a good thing. A lot of people think of fences, spiritually speaking, as some kind of restriction that is holding you or it's hindering you. Actually, fences are liberating. Fences bring freedom. Fences bring security and peace of mind. Hey, thank God for fences. Now, let me just say this to you. Uh, this became very real to me. Uh, I'm a walker. Any walkers in the house like to good, take a good long walk at night or in the morning? Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's interesting to me, one thing about walking. In my 20s, I was a runner. In my 30s, I became a jogger. In my 40s, I'm speed walking. I'm very concerned where this is going. So... Uh, I'm going to hurdle back and become a runner again if these knees can take it. Um, but I love to go for prayer walks. And yesterday, uh, I had a, a, a good speed walk in the morning by myself. And then a lot of times, I love to go with my daughter, Allison. And uh, last night, we went for a prayer walk, and we were, we were praying for you and, uh, and praying for the message. And uh, we all know those houses that when you're, whether you're running, jogging, or walking, we all know those houses that have the monster dog in the backyard. And it is those moments that you might not even be a believer, but you become a believer in those moments when that big burly monster demon dog jumps up against the fence and you've forgotten about that fence. And that happened last night. We were just a praying away and just praying for you and praying for all the services. And we got by that house that I usually cross the street, even though I know there's a fence there. I think it's in my subconscious, afraid of the monster dog. And literally we're just walking and Allison's praying at the moment. I'm like, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. My eyes were open 
open. Yes, Lord, you know, just, and, and then all of a sudden, like, against the fence, and the, the fence shook, and I thought I was in the Sandlot movie for a moment, you know, like literally. And we ran across the street. I was thanking the good Lord for fences in that moment. Fences are a God thing. They're for safety and security and to protect you from getting your legs bit. Last week, we talked about the first fence. The first fence is the fence of rest. Somebody say rest. Hey, God is so cool that he created a day of rest just for us. A day of recuperation, a day of recharging. Now, you got to take advantage of that day. You can easily miss that day if you're a workaholic or you just skip through it. But he gave us a day. Somebody say a day that we call the Sabbath. But also, he gave us a way. He gave us a way through Jesus Christ and by the help of the Holy Spirit that you and I can work and live from a place of rest. Whew. You don't have to wait for the day. Thank God for the day that you can put your feet up and rest and relax and recuperate and just do what you want to do on that day. But he also gave us a way of rest. Somebody here that's a really strong worker bee, maybe two jobs, you're really working it. There is a way to work and it's from rest. A way and a day. Today, if you're taking notes, we're going to talk about the second fence. And I want to go in and tell you, you need to buckle up your seatbelt. Look at your neighbor and say, buckle up your seatbelt. I'm just going to give you a little heads up warning. You might not like me after this message, but you got to love me. <laughs> That's what the word says. Today, we're going to talk about the second fence, a fence of holiness. Holiness. You know, I think that holiness has gotten a bad rap through the years. I think it's gotten a bad rap. And I'll say this, the church, capital C, didn't help with it. A lot of people, maybe because of bad communication from platforms and just your own, our own stinking thinking, a lot of people, maybe even average Christians, and I don't even think those two words should go together. There's nothing average about being a Christ follower. But the average Christian thinks, or people that don't even know the Lord, think when they hear the word holiness, they think of rules, restrictions. They think they're bound down to something. And actually, as you've been hearing, even us talking about what I was saying earlier with, with what, where fences bring security and peace of mind, they actually, it's the very opposite of what holiness is all about. Holiness, listen to me, Hamilton Mill, holiness is about relationship. Holiness is about intimacy. Holiness is about revival. That's what holiness is about. It's not, it's not the thinking, mainly a lot of our years, we've, we've done youth ministry, of course, and I've had young men and young women, young adults come up to us like, I mean, do, do I have to be a nun if I'm going to be holy? And they're serious. Like, do I, I have to become a monk? I mean, there's thinking that we, when we hear the word holiness, we just hear requirements. We hear uh, rituals. We, we hear rules. And let me just tell you, Jesus did not give up his life. He didn't leave heaven for a bunch of rules. Jesus fulfilled the law and literally came for us out of relationship. Christianity is about a relationship. It's not about a bunch of rules. And so we're going to look at this, this subject of holiness 
Now, you're in, you're in Leviticus. Stay there. We'll go there in just a second. But look right here on the screen. First Peter says this, chapter 1, verses 14 and 16. So you must live. Somebody say live. You must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. That's, li- that's living according to the flesh. You didn't know any better then. Oh, hello. But look at this. But now, somebody say now. But now you must be holy, look at these words here, in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy, for the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Peter is actually quoting Leviticus. Leviticus six times literally says that that wording, that phrasing, be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. When we think of holy, I think a lot of people also, because I just read, be holy in everything you do. You think, oh, there it is. I got to be perfect. Hey, let me just set you free right now. We'll never be perfect. But we serve the perfect one. And the more time you spend with Jesus, the more work he does in our hearts, the more perfecting, the more, it's called sanctification, the more sanctifying he does in us, that the more I'm with him, the more I start looking like him. The more I start sounding like him. Come on, some of you, you used to have a cursing problem. You just kind of let it fly like a sailor, though you weren't in the Navy, all right? And you just let it go. And as you have been spending time with the Lord, no one pointing a finger at you at all, the Lord's been massaging that area saying, hey, it's time to let go of that language and start speaking some language that's more uplifting. I could go on and go on and give you examples of how when you submit yourself to God and spend time with him, he changes you from the inside out. Out and we're being made holy. Amen? That word holy, well, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting, in the Hebrew, it's kadash, which means, I think we have right here on the screen, to be set apart for a special purpose. Set apart for a special purpose purpose. So you've all, we've all heard you have a purpose in your life. When you're holy, you've been set apart for a special purpose. Come on. When you're, when you tell your kids, I have a special surprise, they're all like, ah! you know, they, they get all excited because it's not just a surprise. It's a, come on. It's a special And God is saying to you, I don't care how old you are or how young you are in the room today, God has a purpose, a special purpose that only you can fulfill as you walk in holiness before him. I don't care. Whoever the oldest in the room is, God is not done with you. He still wants to use you. You hear a lot of times speaking it to young people, but I'm telling you, the oldest person in this room, and by the way, you can age well. You don't have to age old. You can age well. I'm 49 years old, but I got a 20-year-old in here living in here. All right. All right. You can, you can age well. I had to ask my daughter last night, who is about to turn 21, is it okay for a 49-year-old to wear these tennis shoes in church? I, you know, like preaching from the stage. She's like, Dad, mm-mm. All right, that's cool. That's cool. Even though I'm, I'm not worried about hip and cool, I'm not worried about that. So I just need to make sure a peace of mind I could wear them. So somebody say holy. God, get me back on the message, please, here. So we get, he's, he, this is what he's saying. This is what God is saying to us. When he says, be holy as I'm holy, he's saying, be like me. That's what God's saying. See, God is already set apart, He is holy. 
Remember, remember that old hymn, holy, 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 Lord God almighty. He is mighty and he is merciful. He is almighty God. He is already, he is the holy one. And he's saying, hey, come out of all that and come away with me. Be like me. Spend time with me. Come out of that stuff and be with me. Right here, first, uh, excuse me, 2 Timothy 1.9 says this. I love this. For God saved us and called us to live, say it with me, a, a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, we don't, but because this was his plan from the beginning. Thank you, Lord. The beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. Here's the deal. A lot of people, when they think about Christianity, they simply focus on salvation. And what he is saying and what he shows us right there, he didn't just save us, he called us. Let me just tell you, salvation experience, as wonderful as it is, and I'm so thankful. Anybody thankful in the room to be saved today? Hello. You're thankful that you're not the old person. Thank God for our salvation. And by the way, we're in a spirit-filled church here. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe God can still perform miracles today. That's why we pray for healing every single Sunday. And I'm telling you, thank God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It rocked my world at 24 years old. But I'm here to tell you, salvation and being filled with the Spirit is only the beginning. It's not the end. He's called us to live a holy life. All the days of your life, he wants you to live holy before him, to walk holy before your God, for me to live a holy and pure life before him. That's another definition of the word holy, pure, sacred, set apart. It's, salvation is not just it. If it was, listen to me, church, I'm just going to kind of give you a little Chris Frith um, explanation here. If, if all we were put on planet earth is to be saved, then honestly, the moment we got saved, we should have been immediately transported to heaven. If that's the only reason we were put on planet earth. I mean, just think about that. It's he's, he saved us. Thank you God for saving us, but he called us to live a holy life. While we're on this earth, and God knows the number of our days, while we're on this earth, let's live loud for him, let's live holy for him, let's live for him and his glory. Amen? Right here on the screen, look at this. We've been called to live a holy life set apart with God to do great things for God. I wanna say that again so you can get it in your spirit. We have been called to live a holy life. What does that mean? Set apart with God to do great things for God. Can we say that last part again? Set apart with God to do great things. Set apart with God to do great things. There's the emancipating greatness. Not my greatness or your greatness, his greatness through me. God wants to do great things through us. Well, here's the question. As Lisa, my wife, and I were talking this out yesterday, the message, she asked me this question. I was like, that is a really good question. She said, well, what does a holy life look like right here in 2021? What does a holy life look like? 
I'm like, I'm going to need to get back to you on that. That is a really deep, I need to kind of flesh that out on paper. That's not on my notes. And, but you know what? We talked about it right there. It's different. If I'm to sum it up, it's different. Our God is set apart. He's different. It's not a holy life looks like in 2021, and I could go back 2,000 years ago. It looks like God. It, as imperfect as we are, the goal of continuing to look and like him and honor him in my speech and in my actions and in my life, it, it looks like Jesus. Come on, it smells like Jesus. It, 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 when you hear the words, the words are not tearing people down and being critical of even people we disagree with, but it's always uplifting and encouraging. That's Bible, by the way. Bible says, Psalmist says this, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, not theirs or what they think, or what this group thinks, in your sight. And so what does a holy life look like? Right here on the screen, look at this. A holy life is a reflection of a holy God. We're set apart. We're not, we're not here we are in this world in 2021, but we are not of it. We live in this world, but let me tell you what, if you sound like the world and you look like the world, I'm not talking so much outside clothes or this, I'm talking about if everything coming out of you is the world, then you got a lot of world in you and a lot of little bit of God, just a little God. We serve a big God. And let me just tell you, he wants all of you. He's an all consuming fire. The Bible says he's jealous for us. That blows my mind. See, Pastor Johnson and I and Pastor Darius last night were on a Zoom call praying for you guys, praying for the messages. And he said this, and I wrote it down as quick as he said it. He said, we were not made to fit in. We were made to stand out for the glory of God. We were not made to fit in. We were made to stand out. Somebody say stand out. I'm not talking about arrogantly. I'm not talking about obnoxiously at all. I'm not talking about with signs. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about your love for God is so loud. When you go to work, people know there's something different about you. When you're at home in the neighborhood, the way you talk to your neighbors, the way you just serve, you look for kind ways to say and do, people are like, man, there is something different about that person. And you know inside it's Jesus. It's a holy life before God. Are you with me this morning? All right, good, half of you. We're, we're, doing, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 10. Are you there? Leviticus chapter 10. Now, I'm going to give you a little quick history story here. All right, story time with PC for a moment. Um, because I, I want you to hear this because if you just read these verses like I did when I first read this verse, and don't read ahead, stay with me. Everybody look up for a second. Everybody's like, oh, what is he talking about? What's it? It's, it's a verse that when you first read, you're like, man, God seems a little, about, a little bit about rules and he's really harsh. But I want to give you context and story real quick. So uh, this, this story has an incredible beginning and a very tragic ending. Two young men named Nadab and Abihu picked by God, Aaron's sons, Aaron, the high priest of Israel. Let me even go back a little further just so you know where we're at. Israel has just got out of Egypt no longer slaves. Now they are free and they are headed toward the promised land. And by the way, it's just around the corner, but because of their continual whining and complaining and disobedience, what was supposed to take only a few months took 40 years. 
So they're on a long journey. Everybody, anybody, I've been there. I had to go around the mountain a few times before you, you conquered that thing. God's like, we could have done this a long time ago. Well, that's what was going on with the children of Israel. But good things are happening in the midst of a long journey. And so Aaron's named the high priest. Aaron's got four boys. And the, the two that we're focused on today is, today is Nadab and Abihu. All right. And these two young men, God has set them apart. It's incredible. I can't imagine. Uh, I'm a dad of three. And if God himself came down and said, your kids are set apart to do this and their jobs, basically, this was their job description to minister to God all the time and to be spiritual leaders of Israel, which at the time was around a million people. So huge, huge city that was traveling, a traveling city. And so one day on their journey, God, who, where they stopped, they were at a mountain, knows God really likes the mountains. Go on vacation. That's like the Lord really likes the mountains, all right? And he likes the lake, all right? You read through the gospel. Jesus was always hanging at the lake, you know? So I'm just saying, he wasn't really a beach guy. He's more of a lake guy. So, but anyway, so God says, come up to the mountain. And he specifically says, Moses, of course you. Aaron, your brother, high priest, and those two boys. I don't know why he didn't call the four, but he called the two, Nadab and Abihu, bring them up here. Bring them up the mountain. And out of all the million people, I want 70 of your top leaders to come up. I'm making a long story short for time. So they come up the mountain. By the way, out of a million people, not many people got that invitation. It was a special invitation to come up to the mountain. And this is crazy, guys. You need to look at it later on. It's Exodus 24. Just make a mental note of that. Exodus 24. They climb up the mountain and they did something that no person could do. They sat down and saw the Lord. And if you'll allow me, it's almost like with his finger. I'm a picture person. God cut open time and space in this moment and allowed them to see into the spirit world. They saw heaven, and the Bible says these men saw the footstool of God, and they saw this blue color they had never seen before, and the Bible says they saw God in his glory, and they still lived. He gave them a sneak peek of what we'll see one day in heaven. Do you know there's going to be some wild and crazy colors in heaven? You're like, I, yeah, I, I thought just wings and clouds. No, what, what you've been reading? No, God, God says he's got a mansion for you. He's got, there's going to be gold roads, no shadow. Think about that, no shadow. I got shadows right here falling on the ladies, just a shadow, you know, like right here. No shadows at all because the glory of the Lord will light it up. So he gives them a window to be able to see the footstool of the throne of God. Take, it out, take a look at it, Exodus 24. It's mind-blowing. And then they eat a meal and they drink some wine right there in the presence of God. Theologians have studied what they were eating and they came to the conclusion that it was Chick-fil-A. I'm just here to tell you. It was Chick-fil-A. It was Chick-fil-A. It was some nuggets. Mo was like, hey, Aaron, you're holding on the nuggets and give me some of that sauce. They were passing sweet tea. Don't believe the wine thing. It was sweet tea. They were like, keep it coming, God. Keep it coming. The Bible says they had a covenant meal. I couldn't think of a better food than that right there. A covenant meal with the Lord. And they lived. So I'm trying to give you the story. He names them priests. They've been set apart for a special purpose. 
Leviticus chapter 10. Let's look at it together. Starting at verse 1, and it says this, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. You're like, okay, what's the deal? Look at this. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning for him, before him the wrong kind of fire. Somebody say wrong fire. wrong fire. Let me just pause for a second, then we'll finish it up. So what we don't have time to talk about and read it all is that the Lord actually had a fire that they were supposed to use. And it literally, a lot of times when you read through the Bible, you can see that God has to deal with water and fire, the water representing the Holy Spirit, the river of God, but also fire being power. It's like a symbolism of God. Well, literally God was fire. He was a cloud by day and what? Fire by night. And literally that pillar of fire, which is just mind blowing to, I mean, those are some of the things like, I want to find Moses like, what was that like? You know, one day, like, how, what, pillar of fire, but, not, but didn't burn up anything. It just led them through the wilderness. And, and so this pillar of fire lights this particular offering. I'm simplifying because of time. And that was the only fire they were supposed to use because that was a fire that was from God. He is a holy fire of God. You're only supposed to light that fire. So these guys, and historians do tell us, not the Chick-fil-A part, sorry, but they do tell us that these guys used some wrong incense. They took it maybe from some idol worship. Just kind of put it on there. And they got a coal from just any old fire. Oh, I get these coals. And they put it on the holy altar. Complete disrespect toward God. Didn't even care. Are you with me? And look what it says right here. Verse two. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up. They were completely incinerated and they died there before the Lord. Are you encouraged? I told you Leviticus, but stay with me. Then Moses said to Aaron, now look at this. This is, this is hard stuff. Listen, listen to this. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory before all people. Now let's look at this before I close out with three points. Very quick, three points. What the heck happened from Nadab and Abihu over here, eating Chick-fil-A in the glory of God, seeing the footstool of the Lord, went up the mountain. By the way, I didn't even say this. It's just kind of coming to me now. I said this in first service, but I forgot to say it to you earlier. These, these young men, they saw the, the Red Sea parted. They saw the daily miracles. Of all of a million of Israel, they were picked to go up the mountain. And then they see the footstool of God. That right would be Okay, God, you can take me. There's no higher than this right here. That's the upper echelon. I just saw your footstool in the glory of God. And I didn't die. I heard you died. What an incredible moment. And then the honor of God says, I've called you. I've set you apart. You're going to minister to me. and You're going to be spiritual leaders of all Israel. These two, Aaron as a father had to be so proud. And then they get over here. And honestly, historians tell us, and if you read down in Leviticus 10, when God actually speaks to Aaron later, he tells him, no drinking on the day you serve me. Because historians, biblical historians tell us that they came in a little tipsy that day. They had drank a little wine that morning, maybe. They were intoxicated. Just like, you know, 
that's a fire. You know, I mean, literally. And, but, but, but hear me on this. Like, how does it get from over here to over there? They had lost, let me just put myself in the middle because I'm going to use this rug now as an illustration in a moment. They had lost the vision of a holy God, church. Have you lost the vision of a holy God? Have we lost the vision of a holy and majestic and marvelous God? Somewhere along the way, I'm just reading in between the lines here. They started maybe just kind of going through the motions. You know, you just light it, you do it, you priests, God bless you. They're just going through the motions. How many of us at times you come on a Sunday, thank God you're here, but your heart's not here. And you, anybody can lift their hands. You just kind of go through the motions, but inside your heart is down, dying, drowning. He's a holy God. Somebody say holy. And he's called us to live a holy life. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm really, really thankful that we don't get incinerated when we sin and screw up. Aren't you thankful for that? That's because of the blood of Jesus, church. Jesus took the judgment of God. Jesus, an innocent man, I'll just put me in there. Jesus took all of my junk, all of my yuck, all of my sin that I've ever done, doing, and will do. He took it all on himself and the whole world and took my place and took your place so that we can be holy and we can live a holy life. They made what was holy and majestic. Nadab and Abihu, just kind of common. Just God. They no longer were living in the fence of holiness. They were living for themselves but they were doing their religious duty. Hello? But it was no longer holy. Look at this quote right here from Garrett Kell. He says this on the screen. Sin only seems trivial to us when God's holiness seems trite. I know that word trite, we don't use a lot in language, but that word there means dull, boring, or stale. So let me put it to you like this. Sin only seems trivial to us when God's holiness seems boring, dull, stale, meaningless. So as we close this morning, I want to give you three things very quickly why holiness is worth protecting. I want to encourage you to take notes on this. I believe the Holy Spirit will speak to you later. Take it on your phone, take whatever, but you remember more when you take notes. It speaks to you more than you can even write down or type out. Number one, why is holiness worth protecting? Number one, God's caution is that sin snowballs. God's caution, we're going to look at his cry and his call, but the first one is God's caution. Somebody say caution. It snowballs. It is this ever slippering slope downward. Come on, we've all been there. I, you, you think in your mind, you don't say it, I got this, I can handle this. And this is what we do. Look, I'm going to use this, this rug. Now, this is a very small, you know, in dimensions rug, but this is going to represent the freedom we have, so don't let that be restrictive. I could use this whole platform, but for, for illustration's sake, a lot of times we do this with sin and God. We tippy-toe with him. God is the rug, sin. It's almost a dance. 
Sometimes we get over here a little bit. When we come back, it's just a little tippy toe. Mm, 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 mm. You know, we just keep going. <laughs> but we tippy toe. Sometimes we do this. We get border. We're on the fence. How close can I go? How close? That's the completely wrong question. It's not about how close you can get to sin. Can I do both? We justify it. Well, my wife doesn't, or my husband doesn't, or my boss doesn't, and we justify doing sin. It's still sin. It's this ever, it gets darker. Come on, if you've ever been there. I was addicted to pornography until 24 years old. I saw a pornography image riding bikes in the woods at 10 years old from 10 to 24 until I finally called it out, confessed it to a professor at Bible college. I was scared to death because I knew I was getting married to the hottest woman on the planet. And I was like, and, and, and the hot there was not just her beauty, her fire for God. And it, it stimulated things in me that need to be awakened of the holiness of God in my life. And I justified it and justified it and justified it. And I got this and I got this and I would fall. And I don't know about you, if you've ever been in any form of habitual sin, it gets darker and darker and darker. But we serve a God who has a strong right arm who can pull us out of the pit and deliver us. It's a slippery slope. Pastor Robert Moore says this. Let me read this quote to you. Sin will take you, we don't have this on the screen, I'm sorry. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. I'm going to say that again, get in your spirit. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Somebody say farther. farther. Keep you longer than you want to stay. Somebody say longer. longer. And cost you more than you want to pay. Somebody say cost. That's what sin will do to us. God is like, it's not about living little for God, it's about living big for God. Your whole heart. He wants your whole heart. We sing that song from Maverick City, my whole heart. But it's, it's not just a song, it's a prayer. It's the cry of God's heart. He wants our hearts, all of it. That's the father, the jealous father that we serve. Look at this scripture right here. Romans 6, 19b says this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now, somebody say now. Now you must give yourselves to, slay, to, to be slaves to righteousness, slaves to God, so that you will become, say it with me, holy. No more tippy-toe. No more playing the game. No more justifying your sin because you're angry. No more blaming your parents. It isn't about how little we can live for him, but how much. So here's, here's your homework on number one real quick. Or let me put it to you like this, because I'm a mission impossible guy. Your mission, should you choose to accept, is to go home and see where there's some areas in your life, some fences that are low. Could be with that thing we call a computer, laptop, cell phone. Could be in your marriage but it's to look at it, and maybe they're not low, maybe there's just no fence, and it's time to rebuild the fence of holiness. With the help of the Holy Spirit, you can do this. Married couple, you can do this. 
Lisa and I have gone up and down and all around and fought every demon in hell, but I believe our marriage is worth it unto the Lord. 25 years in, I believe it's worth it. But the first two years, we fought like cats and dogs. She was the cat. We're also two firstborn kids, so ding, ding, it's like Rocky and that Russian in Rocky Four. it just was blow, blow, blow like crazy. Number one, why is wholeness worth protecting? God's caution is that sin, what? Sin snowballs. Number two, why is wholeness worth protecting? Are you still with me? God's cry is to be with me. First is God's caution. Number two is God's cry. His cry, I just said it earlier, but I'm gonna say it and stress it. The cry of our father's heart is for his children to know him and to love him. Look, he knows you, son. He's known you all your days. He knows you, daughter. He's known you all your days. He wants to be known by you and loved by you. He's looking for a response, which is a life. God's cry, his cry is to be with me. Sin, habitual sin, will make your love grow cold and smaller. Pastor Randy said, he spoke to our staff this week, and he called it the shrunken heart syndrome. And he was talking about rest. That's not taking rest, but I was thinking, I was taking notes like, that's what sin does. Shrinks your heart. You know what God does? Enlarges your heart. Sin shrinks it. Habitual sin shrinks your heart. Makes your heart grow cold. Guess what? You get hard toward people. Where you would normally love and serve people, you get hard toward them. Get hard because you're hard toward God. Your heart gets hard and, and small. You don't have the patience you used to have with people. You start judging them real quick. Let me just say it. It's a warning for me. This is what's happened to me. When I get judgmental, my heart is shrinking. I am not the judge. You are not the judge. We serve the high judge. He'll take care of everything in the end. He just wants me and you to live for him. But he wants it to come through love, a relationship. He doesn't want a bunch of robots. He's looking for sons and daughters that want to know him and love him. Look right here, Revelations 2, 4, and 5. But I have this complaint against you, says the Lord. You don't love me, look at this, or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen, says the Lord. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. Now he's speaking to a church, but he speaks to us today. This speaks to us today. If you don't repent, somebody say repent. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. By the way, repentance is not a bad word. People have used that word too. It means change of heart and mind, and it's literally you're going one way, and you're repenting before God, you're going a different way with God. That's all repentance is. It's a brokenness, godly sorrow. I have been living for me. I am done. God, forgive me. I repent. I'm, what God does inside is change your thoughts. It's no longer about me. It's about you and your glory. Number three, and finally number three. We said first was God's caution because sin snowballs. The second one is God's cry is to be with me. The third one, finally, is God's call, his call, simply his call for me to be holy. He said, be holy. It's his call. I don't know if you're like me, but I get a lot of spam calls. God bless them. 
I hate it. I get a lot of calls, period, from people, family, friends, coworkers. But spam it drives me crazy. And I'm always ignore, ignore, ignore. Let me just tell you what. This is not a call that we ignore. This is the call from a holy God that is saying, I'm calling you to be set apart. I'm calling you to come away with me, come out of the mess, come out of the dirt, come out and come with me. Walk with me. Spend time with me. Because when you, listen to me, when we spend time with our Heavenly Father, we change, not Him. He changes us. I'm so thankful. I know you are. Aren't you so thankful you're not the old you that you used to be? That's God changing you. The call to be holy. Listen to me, church. Lean in. Don't let the worship team distract you. Lean in right here. The call of God is for us to be holy. Set apart. What does holy mean? It means set apart for special purposes. He wants to use you in this earth for his glory. He wants to display his greatness through you and me. He has a great work he wants to do in you. It starts in you and then through you. Final verse, look at this, 2 Timothy 2. Are y'all still with me? 2 Timothy chapter 2, last verse before we pray. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver. And some are made of wood and clay. I don't know about you, but I want to hang with the gold and the silver. That's actually what God calls you. He sees gold in you. Some of you, when you look in the mirror, I, I'm sorry, I got to stop. I got to say it. Some of you do not see gold in your heart. And God says, I see gold in them hills. I see gold in there. It doesn't matter. And, and I know this stuff is real, the things we go through, but God sees himself in you. We were made in the image of God. And he's called us to live a holy life. I apologize if I looked up and scared you with the glasses. They magnify my eyes, time a million. Lisa told me during the break, she's like, whatever you do, don't look up into the camera. Here we go. Somebody's like, this man ain't right. He's just not right. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver. Somebody say gold. And some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils, look at this, are used for, come on, say it with me, special occasions. And the cheap ones are used for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, if you keep yourself holy, you will be, come on, say it with me, a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Amen. So in praying this week as pastors, Pastor Johnson, myself, and Pastor Darius, Darius is minister of Midtown. I, I get the honor to be with y'all today. We could not skip this moment to say, we're gonna do this a little bit different right here. We're gonna take of communion together. So can I ask you just this moment, would you put your phone down? Would you put everything away? And let's prepare our hearts in this moment. And let me just say to you right now, yeah, go ahead and rip that plastic if you could now. <laughs> and I actually need one, I, I, I lost mine somehow. James, did you steal my, oh, no, okay, all right. <laughs> Get it over with, people. Get it over with. 
please. So here's what we're going to do. Did you know that communion is a holy moment before God? I don't know how you grew up in church. I don't know if you grew up in church at all. It doesn't matter. This is a moment that we remember. Thank you so much. Somebody say remember. And we honor the Lord. It it can't be taken lightly, what he did for us, what he did for me. So the band is going to sing the first part of this song. Most of you know this song. But I, I don't want you to focus so much on the song. I want you to focus on your heart. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11 that before we take of communion, listen to me, that you should search your heart. It actually uses the word examine yourself before the Lord before you take communion. And I actually believe everything is leading up to this moment right now. Everything that's been said, even everything we sang about, I didn't know the song list until yesterday when I was praying through this room. I was like, oh man, build my life. Yes. God wants us to build our lives on him, the solid rock, who is holy and pure and merciful. Listen, if you screwed up, and we all have, you've messed up, maybe, maybe you're sitting next to your spouse, but things are not good. Can I just tell you, we serve a good God. He can heal, he can recover, he can restore all because of the blood of Jesus. So there is no condemnation for anyone in this room. There's no condemnation, there's no shame, there's no guilt, there's none of it. That's, that's not Jesus, that's hell, that's the lies of hell. And so let's take a moment right now and search our hearts. Homework is later to go rebuild some bridges, but let's search our hearts now before we take up communion together. Let's go there together.
Let's prepare to take of communion. He says, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant. Thank you, Lord, for your new covenant. Thank you, God. This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. He said, do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Go ahead and take and drink. Church, can we stand together? There, be, there should be some buckets at the ends that you can pass for trash. Could you just put your hand on your heart right now as we pray? Come on, that's what he died for. That's what he wants. He wants your heart, young lady, young man. Father, mother, grandparent, he wants your heart. That's what he wants. He wants our hearts. Come on, just tell him in your own way, God, you can have my heart. Lord Jesus, I consecrate my life unto you. I surrender my life unto you. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you really lived, you really died, and you really rose from the dead. And Lord, you gave us the same spirit that rose you from the dead. It's in us. And so we honor you, King Jesus, in this moment. And we want to tell you, God, forgive us. We repent. We repent, God, of living life our way, going through the motions at times, playing with the fence, playing the dance, oh God, with the world and with you. Lord, justifying our sins because of hurts and pains. Oh God, forgive us as a people. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're making us holy. You're making us clean. You're making us righteous, oh God. It's you and you alone we wanna live for. Lord, it's not you and a bunch of things. It's just you, name above all names, King of kings and Lord of lords. Our heart is yours. We love you, Jesus. Hear this song as a prayer, God. Nothing else but you. Come on, let's tell him together.